Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And for this episode, I want us to go looking for something, or rather for someone. I want us to go looking for God, and specifically, we will be looking for him in the book of Esther. Now, you might ask why. I mean, after all, the book of Esther is in the Bible, and it should not be hard to find God in any book found there. But this particular book contains no direct reference to God. I think that it's very much worth our while to search for him in this book, because in so doing, we may be able to figure out where God is in our own lives at times when it seems like he's not there, when he has chosen to be absent. Let's start with the story of Esther. After telling the story, we'll see if we can't figure out where God fits in the narrative. First, a little background. Chapters 1 and 2 tell us how Esther, a Jewish girl, became queen of the mighty Persian Empire. How could such a thing happen? Well, in chapter 1, Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes, the emperor of Persia, invited the nobles of his vast empire to come to the capital city, Susa, for a feast. He wanted to display his great wealth and demonstrate his fame and his power. The feast lasted for months. This was followed by another feast that lasted for a week. It was held for those living at the citadel of Susa. There was a great deal of food and wine, gluttony and drunkenness. On the seventh day, at the height of the festivities, a drunken Xerxes decided to show off one of his greatest treasures. He ordered his queen, Vasti, to come and parade her beauty before his drunken guests, and she refused. Xerxes was infuriated and consequently deposed Vasti. She would no longer be queen. The story progresses in chapter 2. On the advice of his officials, Xerxes gave orders to select from the fairest maidens of the empire the most beautiful young girl to be his queen and take the place of Vashti. At this point, we are introduced to Esther. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah. She was an orphan raised by her older cousin Mordecai. She was chosen to take part in this contest whether of her own free will or by force, we don't really know. But with the help of the man in charge of the king's harem, she won. Esther went from being an unknown Jewish orphan girl to queen of the immense Persian Empire. Along about this time, there is a seemingly insignificant detail recorded. Mordecai was sitting outside of the palace of the king, and he overheard two men plotting to assassinate Xerxes. He reported the plan, the king was saved, the conspirators were hanged, 
and the act was recorded in the King's Chronicles. Then the story continues with nothing more being said of the incident. Then in chapter 3, we learn about a conflict that provides the motivation for the rest of the story. We meet Haman. He became a favorite courtier of the king and was made his prime minister. He was an arrogant man and filled with pride after his promotion. His pride caused him to see a problem that really wasn't a problem. Mordecai, the Jew, unlike everybody else, refused to bow down before or pay homage to Haman. I'm not sure why. It would not have been against the law of Moses for a Jew to bow before a foreign king or an official as long as it was not being presented as worship to a god. I don't know why Mordecai would not bow, but for whatever reason he refused, and that made Haman very angry. With his pride being hurt, Haman decided to do something about it. Since Mordecai was a Jew, Haman decided to punish him by destroying all the Jews. He told lies about them and persuaded Xerxes to allow him to publish a proclamation sealed with the royal signet ring. A decree was issued announcing that all the Jews were to be slaughtered on a certain day. The day was chosen by casting the lot known as the Pur. Haman was satisfied. He would have revenge on the Jews for Mordecai's refusal to acknowledge how great he was. Why wasn't he satisfied to be prime minister? Satisfied to have riches and power and fame? Why did it bother him so much when just one person refused to bow before him? Mordecai's refusal to bow really didn't hurt Haman, so why did it make him so angry? Why not just ignore it? Even if his pride could not allow him to overlook this one Jew's apparent lack of respect, why didn't he just have Mordecai punished? Why have all the Jews killed for the perceived crime of one Jew? That kind of irrational pride just staggers the mind. In chapter 4, we find the solution to the Jews' problem. Haman published the news that on a certain date the Jews were to be killed and their property confiscated. When Mordecai learned of this, he sent a message to Esther, seeking her help. He asked her to intercede before the king on behalf of the Jews. Esther was reluctant at first, because anyone who approached the king uninvited would be killed unless the king showed mercy by extending his scepter to receive the visitor. Since she had not been called before the king for some time, she was afraid that she might be killed if she went before him without being invited. Mordecai then sent these words to her in Esther chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Esther was persuaded, and she responded in verse 16 in this way, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. 
I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. In chapter 5, Esther summoned her courage and went to the king's throne room. We find in chapter 5 and verse 2, when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Her life was spared, and when asked what she wanted, she simply invited Xerxes and Haman to a banquet she had prepared. The king accepted the invitation, and he and Haman came to Esther's banquet. There Xerxes asked again what he could do for her. She asked only for the king and Haman to come to a similar banquet the next day. Leaving the banquet, Haman was full of pride, but he had to pass by Mordecai, and he was again infuriated because Mordecai refused to acknowledge his greatness. He went home and told his wife and friends that he couldn't enjoy all he had because of Mordecai. So on their advice, he built a 75-foot gallows on which to hang him. He planned on getting the king's permission to do away with Mordecai, his hated enemy. In chapter 6, we find that that very night the king had trouble sleeping, so he decided to have some court records read to him. In the reading, he learned that Mordecai had saved his life, yet when he was asked, he was told that Mordecai had not been rewarded. The next morning, Haman went to Xerxes to ask permission to hang Mordecai. But when he got there, the king asked in verse 6, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? Haman thought the king was talking about him. So he said that the person whom the king wanted to honor should be put on the king's horse and dressed in royal robes. Then a high official should lead the horse through the street, shouting, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. That's in chapter 6 and verse 9. Xerxes said, in effect, Go and do this for Mordecai. My friends, just imagine how Haman felt doing those things for the man he hated most of all. After that experience, he went home in shame, but found no consolation there, for his wife and friends said in chapter 6 and verse 13, If Mordecai, before you whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. He had no time to mourn his lost prestige, because messengers came to take him to Esther's banquet. Chapter 7 gives a climax to the story. After the meal, the king asked Esther again what she wanted. She asked only for her life and the lives of her people. She told the king that her people, the Jews, were to be annihilated. And the king asked who was responsible for such an outrage. Esther replied that it was Haman. Xerxes was so upset he could not contain himself, but left the room and went out into the garden, presumably to calm down. While he was outside, Haman, now terrified, begged Esther for mercy, falling at her feet. At this point, the king returned and mistakenly thought that Haman was trying to assault his queen and ordered Haman to be executed immediately. He was hanged on the very gallows he had built to hang Mordecai. 
In chapters 8 through 10, Mordecai was given everything formerly belonging to Haman, including his position as prime minister. However, there was still a problem. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, a decree issued by the king could not be revoked. He had decreed that on a certain date the people of the empire would be allowed to kill the Jews and take their land. What could be done to remedy that situation? Mordecai and Esther thought of a, of a solution. Esther went again before the king and was welcomed by him. The solution proposed and accepted was that the Jews throughout the empire be allowed to defend themselves against their enemies. When the day set by casting the pearl arrived, the Jews defended themselves and killed thousands of their enemies. The book ends by saying that the Jews celebrated their victory by observing the Feast of Purim from that time forward. Chapter 10 and verse 3 says, For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus and great among the Jews, and in favor with the multitude of his kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people, and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation. So that is the story of the book. But we still have the question, where is God? Nowhere in his pages do we find him overtly mentioned. But my friends, the whole book is about God. He was active in the story of Esther. Let's see if we can determine how. Mordecai and Esther believed that God was involved in the affairs of the Jews and of the Persian kingdom. Mordecai expressed faith that if Esther did not speak for the Jews, someone else would deliver them. Why did he have such faith? The only reasonable answer is that he believed the Jews were God's people, and God would not allow them to be annihilated. He was right. Mordecai also expressed faith in God's providence in his working in the affairs of men when he asked Esther, who knows whether you have not obtained to royalty for such a time as this, in chapter 4 and verse 14. Well, in fact, she had. God was involved in her becoming queen so she would be in a position to help save her people. Esther showed that she understood her need for God's help when she called on the Jews to fast with her as she prepared to go before Xerxes. Mordecai and Esther believed God was acting through them. What led to the salvation of the Jews from their enemies? Does anyone really think it was fully a series of unlikely coincidences? What if Vashti had not refused to obey the order of Xerxes? What if Esther had not won the favor of the eunuch in charge of the women? What if Esther had not pleased the king? What if Mordecai had not overheard the plot to kill the king? What if Mordecai had not reported that plot and saved Ahasuerus? What if Esther had refused to go before the king? What if the king had failed to hold out the scepter to Esther? What if the king had slept well on that certain night and therefore had not asked for the book of memorable deeds to be read to him? The answer to all of those questions is that the outcome of the story would have been different. The Jews would have been annihilated just as Haman desired. Why was it so important for the Jews to be saved? God had promised to save the world through Abraham's seed. That promise was to be fulfilled through the nation of Israel. 
In the time of Esther, they were known as the Jews. If they had been exterminated, there would have been no Israel for whom the Messiah would come. If the Messiah, the Christ, had not come, there would have been no Savior for the world, no salvation for us. Where was God? We find him behind the scenes, working providentially through people and circumstances, sometimes through unlikely people and improbable circumstances, to accomplish his will. My friend, God was there in every event, silent and hidden, working behind the scenes to save his people and to accomplish his purpose. How does Esther's story relate to us? How can we apply its truth to our lives as Christians? Surely we are thankful that Mordecai and Esther cooperated with God in saving the Jews so that Jesus might come in fulfillment of prophecy and make salvation available. And we learn something about providence. God, who providentially saved his people in unpromising circumstances, is still working providentially today. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We can be sure that as long as we are among those who are called according to his purpose, God is somehow working in and through our circumstances to accomplish his good purpose. Sometimes we find ourselves in tough situations. We may feel far from home, surrounded by strangers who do not care whether we live or die. At times we may be terrorized by enemies, and not all enemies are people who threaten to kill us. Sickness, depression, poverty, loneliness, the death of a loved one can all be horribly menacing. Those who are older may feel unloved, uncared for, unappreciated, abandoned by family and friends, or just plain scared. In our most trying times, we may have difficulty finding God. We may think he has gone away. We pray, but he does not seem to answer. We seek his help, but he seems unaware of our needs. We cry out, where are you, God, when I need you so badly? And just there, the book of Esther speaks to our needs. It illustrates that when life seems darkest, God is nevertheless at work to bring us joy and gladness. It shows that even when God seems unaware, he is always concerned about us. He will continue to bless us by working through our circumstances to accomplish his good will. Esther's message to each of us is this. If we are a child of God, we can be sure of God's providential working in our story, our life, no matter how difficult the circumstances may be. So it challenges us to always do what is right. We must be faithful, courageous in doing his will, even if we suffer as a result of our righteous behavior. We will be okay. And it challenges us to ask ourselves, have I come to the kingdom for just such a time as this? Instead of asking why me, perhaps we should consider that God, in his providence, placed us in a particular situation or position so that we can accomplish something worthwhile for his kingdom. Even when we can't figure it out ourselves, Esther teaches us to say, 
okay, I'll do this and follow God's plan. I hope this has been beneficial for you. Thanks for listening.